The Antidote meets with an incredible lyricist, Garrett Russell of Silent Planet. Good to talk with you again, Garrett. Oh, it's great to talk to you too, Dave. Thanks for having me. I'm always interested to know the background of a band. What's the story for Silent Planet? Yeah, um, I started the band in 2009 when I was in college. And um, the band just kind of, you know, went through different lineup variations and stuff. And uh, a lot changed. And I kind of figured out what I wanted to really do with it. And uh, started touring pretty consistently in 2013. And uh, signed to Solid State last year and put out our first album. And uh, we've just been touring relentlessly this year. And we're going to put out a record next year. And I understood that you've just lost one of your band members. Igor, he's uh, yeah. left the band. Yeah, yeah. Igor, um, he's back in Toronto uh, with friends and family. And uh, we, we all stay in contact and stuff. And we're still friends, which is good. And are you planning on doing a replacement for him? Um, no, not, not necessarily. Uh, we've always had uh, the guy who's been uh, through the whole of this band, Spencer. Um, we've always been the ones writing music, and uh, Spencer's going to continue to be a part of this in the same way. So um, it, we're, we're not necessarily replacing anyone. Well, I guess I should mention that I've got a really biased view of your band since I've been a fan of Silent Planet since I heard your first EP, Come Wind, Come Weather. Wow, that's crazy. I can't believe that you, uh, that you heard it. <laughs> how, how did you hear it? I'm kind of curious. It's still up online. Yeah, no, it is. It is now, yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. Thank you for listening to it. <laughs> oh, no, my pleasure. That was quite a debut that you put out then. But, I mean, with that debut, how far do you think Silent Planet's progressed since then? Um, I guess quite a bit, I guess, in every sense. This next album we're working on is the first truly collaborative musical effort where everyone's very involved. And um, that's really fun to, you know, honestly, finally kind of have a lineup of people who are so invested in what we're doing and and working so hard that, you know, that, that everyone kind of shares a piece of what's going on. That That's a really special thing for me. So in the past, you've always been the primary songwriter. I have, yeah. I, I've always been the, the lyric and, and vocal person, um, and Spencer's Gene has been the primary music writer. You know, I'm often really drawn towards music that carries a dark theme. Is that the intention of Silent Planet, to create that kind of dark-toned music? Yes, it is, yeah. Spencer, who is the primary, um, he, he writes the music, uh, has always kind of had a had an interest in writing kind of the darker sort of music, and um, I guess I, I'm very influenced by the music that he writes because I'm always writing lyrics to his music. So I think it's it's a really interesting um, thing that I've um, spoken about with the guys. But you know, the music influences the lyrics, and the lyrics start to define the music. And it's a very fun kind of interesting relationship that we're engaged in. You know, one of the most unusual things I think I find about Silent Planet is that you guys seem to have more of a punk mentality than metal. That's interesting. Well, really, virtually all your music is really a rant against problems in society, either past or current. Yeah, I guess I guess our, you know, I guess I, I see what you mean by rant. I think I think for us the goal is instead of just kind of blindly, you know, raging against that, we're so mad at this. I want to get in the shoes of people who are oppressed and, and see the world from their view, which 
I can never fully do, but that's kind of the goal is to, to bring a narrative perspective to these issues. Um, cause I think anyone can talk on and on about how they feel about stuff. But I guess for me, the challenge has been to understand what it means, uh, more holistically for someone to be oppressed. How difficult is that for you to do? Here we are coming from a first world, you know, fairly entitled society. Very, very much. And, and I'm, I, I have lived with all the privilege of being a white male in America. And I can tell you outright that I come from a place of privilege. Um, and I, I'm aware of that. And I think most people who listen to this genre come from a place of privilege. And so in, in such a, an arena of privilege, I, I think the goal is just to... Uh, to give a voice to people who don't have a voice, to try to give a voice, you know. I'm sure I fail a lot, but I'm, I'm definitely going to keep trying, you know. And you really do write intelligent lyrics, but the unfortunate thing is I once heard somebody describing your music as being pretentious. I mean, you've got to get angry about hearing comments like that. <laughs> yeah, I read that review. Dude from uh, AP Magazine. I guess that they wanted us to write about breakups like everyone else, so, you know. Um, I don't know. I think any time that you stand out, people are going to try to hammer down the nail that sticks out. And I'm aware that what we're doing probably sticks out a little bit and probably going to piss some people off, which is pretty sweet. Pretty fun. Yeah. That's always been an issue that I've got with music because so much of it to date really lacks depth. I don't know. Are you guys intending to intellectualize music? Mm, definitely add depth. I think, um, Honestly, we care, I guess. We really we really want to give a shit. And I think um a lot of bands and stuff as I've as I've seen, we've kind of witnessed how a lot of music works. It's kind of just like cool riff, cool riff, you know. Throw together some riffs, you know. Oh man, like here's the build up, here's the breakdown and it's pretty surface level and you know, I'm sure the same guy who wrote the review would say I'm being pretentious right now, but I think that you can write music that really the parts work together and they're cohesive and that there's structure and that there's thought behind it. And it's a shame, you know, when you see people kind of upset that you're putting thought behind it. Then that sort of brings up another point. Do you think that the commercialization of music could also stifle its creativity? Absolutely. 120%. I, um, without going into too much detail, I've been a witness to how money, I think, ruins artistic expression, whether it's how the genre um, and the industry that we're in, you know, is in so many ways set up to make sure that artists fail. And in the process of artists failing, um, managers and labels and agents uh, make all the money while um, they fail. And it obviously, uh, we're very happy with the people that we work with. That's not like a statement about our particular. I've just seen it happen to a lot of artists and uh uh, it's it's really sad when you know the the people that are primarily making the good that is becoming commodified are the ones who are most alienated from their product. Which is funny because Karl Marx talks a lot about that in the Communist Manifesto. But anyways, yeah. But being on a record label, doesn't the record label want to see obviously success for you, but also for them in a financial way? They do. Um, I'm I'm very thankful with Solid State Records. They they've been very good to us and very honest and you know no hidden clauses in the contract. No like, oh got you guys. Um, so been very thankful for how Solid State Records has treated us and our our manager Corey has been such a blessing and we're very thankful to work with a wonderful agent named Matt Anderson and so 
there's also a really cool side of the music industry, but definitely um, I've seen a lot of pitfalls that artists have come into, and that's something that I uh, that that we we try to be kind of wary of, you know. Such as what? Um, I mean, there's some crazy stuff out there. I mean, there's companies that try to make you sign deals with merch where you can only print merch through this thing. And for instance, t-shirt sales are probably 80% of the money that can ever be made for bands like us. A lot of bands give away their merch money to various sources, which is really sad because it's like not only are artists not making money off of like their music, but it's like then they can't even make money off of the t-shirts with their name on it. And uh, there's there, there's a lot to it. And um, to be honest, uh, I probably can't go too far into it, but it's something that we see a lot. And, uh, you know, just this last week, we dealt with a music promoter who tried to steal a lot of money from us. And I think, uh, unfortunately, you have to kind of be on guard against that stuff. Yeah. Definitely going in with eyes wide open. Yeah, I think so a little bit. And I mean, you know, I, I follow the one who said um, to be uh, innocent as sheep, but uh, shrewd as a serpent. And I think uh, there's really something to that. I think that um, that being a lover of other people does not mean that you're stupid. <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think for a long time people have associated like, yeah, be like Christ, like just be nice. And, and it's a lot more than being nice. Sometimes being angry is being full of love, if that makes sense. Christ also did that, didn't he? He did, especially when he saw people take him what was rightfully God's and rightfully worshipful and uh, using it primarily to make money. Well, I guess here we're talking about the whole music industry and being a little more abstract sense, but we should really get to the heart of it and talk about your music. You know, Mm. Silent Planet really surprised me with your full length, The Night God Slept. Most of the songs have a female protagonist or they deal with an issue that involves or is relatable to women. You've got to admit, that's a really unusual perspective for a metal album. It is, yeah. <laughs> and what was your reasoning? You know what? It's funny. Um, did an interview with um, a very kind human yesterday, and she asked me that question. And as I was like halfway through, I realized a big reason why I do this, which I haven't really said in other interviews except for hers yesterday, because... Um, I kind of forgot about it. And as we were talking, you know, kind of verbal process, I had this memory. I was doing merch for our friends in a band called Phineas. And I was like their merch guy. And um, we were playing with this band. This is a local band. I don't remember the band's name. I, I mean, there was this local band. And they were, they were like, this song is about lust. And guys, you know, don't fall into lust and don't date girls who are, you know, like sexually seductive and all that stuff. And then this song was about Bathsheba. And I remember it was like, Bathsheba, um, something like, you're going to hell. Like, I cast you back to hell, demon Bathsheba. Oh, and it's really? funny how, it's funny how, um, like, a lot of people read about, like, you know, King David was such a good guy after God's own heart, right? And um, he got seduced by Bathsheba. And that's kind of the narrative that people pull away from this story, where in actuality, <laughs> he was a king. He saw her bathing in her own private quarters and decided that he wanted to essentially rape her and kill her husband and take her to be his. And somehow these guys are able to identify more so with King David than with Bathsheba. And that really, that really scares me. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, that's, that's theological misogyny at its finest. And uh, I remember that really hit me like, 
man, I, I need to do something. I, I, I want to do something different because this misogyny thing runs very deep. Um, and, and it's across all genres, you know, whether you have uh, bands on one side who, uh, you know, like like the band Attila or something who, uh, you know, is talking about women as if they're commodities, you know what I mean? And uh, kind of using humans for what they can do for you sexually. Or you have bands on this Christian side who are talking about women only as like they're either sluts or they're God-fearing wives. In either way, you're just not really allowing women to be human and not like actually have a story. And so I, I, I guess I sort of... Uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And to be honest, I, I never really thought that we would reach a level of popularity where anyone would ask me a question about that. So, <laughs> But here we are, so I'm very, very thankful for that. And of course, the issue is that so many women get put into situations that are not of their own making. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think what happened on, for instance, this last year's Vans Warped Tour was very eye-opening for a lot of people, realizing like how rape culture is alive in every genre of music, including this genre of music, and how women, you know, whether they're in bands or managers or agents or doing merch, uh, very often are expected to do certain things for men or something like, like like it's their job as a woman and it's it's disgusting and it's wrong and I'm glad that people like Buddy from Senses Fail are speaking out against it. Um, I'm glad that people are are really just not having a tolerance for it, whether it's you know guys with underage girls or whether it's um, just the language that we use that very much is hateful towards and not only women but also you know lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, transgender people, you know. And how do you find Christians as general tend to treat people from the LGBTQ society? Um, you know, I, I'm not going to definitely hop on a train and say that the average Christian is hateful of people who are LGBTQ. Because I, th- I don't think that's true. I, I think there are Christians who are hateful and non-Christians who are hateful of people and that's really wrong, and that's a sickness, and that's that's a really sad thing to see. Um, I, I I think that the average Christian is often maybe confused uh, that you know people don't have a straight sexual orientation. I think a lot of Christians talk about being gay in the abstract, like do gay people go to heaven, or they they talk about it like a concept or something, which is really sad because gay people are people, you know, they they are human beings, and we often talk about. Um, homosexuality, uh, Christians often talk about homosexuality in the abstract because they don't know that, that they have a ton of gay friends. They, they just might not know it. They might be completely oblivious to it. You know, I mean, I was raised to believe that less than 1% of the population could identify as LGBTQ, and that's just not true. But I, I was taught that as a young child growing up in a Christian school that, like, it's a very weird thing, and, like, be careful if you ever encounter them. And it, it was very othering. You know, it's very much like they're not part of our in-group. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that, that some Christians have decided it's like a primary sin or something. Like it's it's like you got murder and you have being gay or something. As if, first of all, being gay is an action. You know, like as if like people choose to be, which I think is something that a lot of Christians still believe is that that it's a conscious decision made by like eight year old boys, which you know there's no evidence of, and I think is untrue. And that, that that's really part of the hatefulness is that assuming that like. You know, these people are choosing to be different or something, um, which, first of all, I think we can celebrate their difference. And second of all, 
I don't believe that it's a choice for a lot of people. I think a lot of people are, are born in that way, and I think God makes people that way, and that's obviously something that a lot of Christians would not be happy with me saying. Um, but I've met a lot of gay people who are, I think, very healthy in their sexuality, very very full of love, very full of life, and um, frankly have a healthier sexuality than, than most straight people I meet. And, you know, in the divorce rate in North America is somewhere floating around 50% range for evangelical Christians. I think it's safe to say that none of us have sexuality figured out in an incredibly healthy way. <laughs> I think a lot of Christian churches are really living in a bit of a cloistered community where yeah. they really just don't associate with people outside of their own intimate group. I agree. And, and the cause of that, I don't think is necessarily always intentional. You know, I think, I, I think as a Christian, we're called to intentional diversity. That is intentionally getting outside of what's comfortable and like finding people um, who are, you know, kind of set out in the margins and to identify with them through solidarity, through common experience, through relationships. And so I think unless you're intentionally trying to get outside of your bubble, whatever bubble that is, you know, even if you're an atheist, vegan, uh, crust punk band, you know, you have to choose to identify with people outside of what group you're in, you know. And I think that that's a choice that all humans need to make to be better humans and, and better um, citizens of the world. And unfortunately, it's very easy for Christians because it's in some of these states in America still, it's such a large um, dominant culture. It's very easy for them to never get outside of it, you know. A little bit earlier on, we were talking about the point of women being put into situations. Silent Planet really takes a harsh shot at sex trafficking on yeah. XX City Grave. Yeah. It's a, you know, I think that's probably my favorite song because I think I was in a pretty emotional, pretty angry place. Um, I guess I'm not really going to sugarcoat it anymore because we're towards the end of the album cycle. Um, uh, you know, the pastor named Mark Driscoll. I read a lot of things that he said <laughs> and uh, excerpts from his book about women and his wife and, and about, um, you know, the place of women in church. And I'm just really fed up with biblical illiteracy i'm really fed up with like pastors with millions of followers who believe their every word who like clearly don't know how to read the bible correctly um which i know sounds pretentious but it, it is what it is it's they assume that a letter from paul to timothy about like a particular group of women can somehow be like blindly put on all women who will ever exist in the world and that's not how the bible should be read because that that's imposing your own agenda on a letter that Paul wrote Timothy, you know, in in the first second century. So the, that that sort of thing gets me kind of frustrated, and uh, I hate to see hatefulness. Um, and, and you know, people assume like, yeah, well, the Bible is a hateful book, but no, it's not. Humans have made it hateful, but it is not hateful. Um, it's it's an incredible work of sixty six different books, and it's uh, it's something that I guess to defend. Uh, means that I must offend those who use it to their liking, such as, you know, yesterday's, in America was Christopher Columbus Day, and Christopher Columbus is a guy who sold nine-year-old girls as sex slaves and justified it with biblical scriptures, and then I post about it on our Facebook, this is wrong, and people get mad at me, um, because apparently, you know, apparently Christopher Columbus is, is someone they, they grew up looking up to. Um, but you know what I mean? I, I think you just... 
eventually you just get so tired of like the lies and the crap and you just speak out. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is it's not about popularity, about what people think of us. It's genuinely like uh, getting frustrated with the lies and wanting the truth, you know, and, and I hope my frustration doesn't ever become such that I can't love people that I'm frustrated with. But I also, I've learned for my own sake of mental health, I need to speak. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to carry on three of the songs on the night god slept dark strand tiny hands and wasteland all include a historical context you know looking at issues of war from a female victim's viewpoint that's really digging deep thank you and why do that well i um i wanted to write about i guess you would say people who have been alienated you know i think most of our understanding about things such as World War II, like those three songs, are around, are about you know the battles, the generals, who won, who lost, Hitler, um, Eisenhower, uh, you know Roosevelt, Stalin. You, you hear about all these different people um, in World War II, and you don't really hear about the common people. And I was really influenced by a book from Howard Zinn called "The People's History of the United States," uh, and he talks about. He talks about history on a more grounded level, you know, history for for people who actually experienced it, not just like the few really famous people that had a lot of power. And uh, I I found out with these different tragedies, and and I think they can all teach us lessons about our own humanity, about how the the faith that we hold, about how we view people with different religions, different faiths, different races, and how we interact with our world through these tragedies. And so... Those stories were kind of picked and um, uh, deal with those different things. And I, I hope they're, I know they're meaningful to some, you know, for like that guy in uh, AP Magazine didn't like it. So, you know, you never know. Uh, but I, I'm really thankful that we were able to do it. Oh, there's always people with no taste, right? <laughs> right, yeah. They're, they're wrong. He's right. No, yeah, it's, uh, it's fine. I certainly did not, as you can imagine, write our album thinking like, Man, this is going to be for everyone. Like I, I was pretty, pretty dang aware that uh, not everyone would be into it. Um, I figured people would be offended. People, like, I don't want to deal with that. I, I want to, you know, I, I want more songs about breakups, which is great. You, know, you can go find a lot of songs about breakups out there, and I encourage people um, turn on the radio. You'll hear about breakups. Uh, so, especially you know, country just, music, right? Yeah. Gosh, man, country, that is truly a bizarre industry, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Get, I mean, I'm talking about like contemporary country. Actual country music's cool, but yeah, that um, country television is is genuinely a bizarre phenomenon. Um, but yeah, I I'm really thankful uh, that that we were able to do that. That um, you know, that God gave us opportunities to put it out on a label that would spread it, and just I'm, I'm thankful in general to be able to play these songs every night. You know, these songs do mean a lot to me, and sometimes touring can feel like, you know, nonstop just for a month. Like this month we're playing, you know, 31 shows in 32 days, you know. And so uh, this is our only off day right now as I'm speaking to you in New York City. And um, it can sometimes feel a little tiring, you know. It feels like a little much. And and, um, these songs every night I I feel honored and I don't even feel worthy to talk about these people. And and these, these women who lived and died before me who I'll never meet, at least on this side of heaven, are kind of what inspired me to keep doing it, as well as the people who come out to the shows and no words. You know, last yesterday, dude, I met a kid named Christian who 
like listened to an interview and heard me talk about a book called I See Satan Fall Like Lightning. And he bought the book and he read it and he came with the book and wanted to discuss it. Like, how incredible is that? Wow. I, I, I'm not nearly that intellectually curious that I could just hear someone talk about a book and be like, I'm going to buy it. It was a very abstract book from a French philosopher, a guy named Rene Girard. And he like went so far out of his way to read it and talk to me about it. And I'm like so humbled. I'm like sitting talking to him, like, you know more about this book than I do now. Like you just read it and it's fresh in your mind and I'm not worthy. Like teach me, you know, and that's the other thing that is very motivating. But I'm sorry, that's a bit of a tangent. No, that's interesting because you brought up that point, your lyric insert that Silent Planet did for The Night God Slept. Yeah. You also included references for each of the song lyrics. Yeah. Was that trying to get people to dig deeper? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I know that there's certain albums that really changed my life that I love, like on al- like pretty much al- every album that Under Oath put out. And it's one of those things where, you know, every time they'd put out a live DVD or a video or whatever, I'd be so thrilled because it, it was just something more to add to the story, you know, to get deeper. And so I just kind of on the get-go of putting out this album, you know, was hoping to almost show people my notes, you know what I mean? Not keep it to myself, but just open source. Like, this is what I was thinking about. This is a direct quote, or this is a paraphrase, or this is heavily influenced, and just kind of show people what literature, you know, has has moved me to write these things. And it's interesting because it covers such a broad spectrum. I mean, you're going from historical books to Edgar Allan Poe to Me Without You. Yeah, yeah, those are... It's, you know, as, as eclectic as anyone's mind is. I think if anyone's being honest with themselves lyrically and they look at, like, why did I write this? Like, I think everyone could footnote their lyrics. You know, everyone could look and say, like, I wrote this because I saw this or whatever. It's just something that I think isn't done as widely for, you know, whatever various reasons. I'm, I'm sure a big one is, you know, people maybe just ha- it hasn't, like, occurred to them. They could. But it's, it's definitely a fun thing for me, and it's a way to invite people into the process, you know, my goal with Silent Planet is to have kind of open hands instead of closed fists. Do you ever think you'd be just as comfortable authoring a book as you would with writing song lyrics? I feel like I'm not a good enough author to fully write. I've, I've been working on some stuff, and I think I will author and hope maybe Lord willing publish a book someday um, in the maybe mid to near future, but that, that's still a little bit off for me. I think I have some growing and some some kind of reshaping of my mind to do before I'm fully ready for that. Well, I guess it's almost time to go. One last thought. With the music of Silent Planet dealing with evil, what do you think society needs to do to change that? I think people need to recognize that the the violence and the social issues that we see that are always out there, you know, in some other city or in some other country, that they exist in our heart. I think that we need to recognize how we contribute to evil. We need to think about the things that we buy, the, the, the products that we consume, where we spend our money, who we're friends with, how we treat people that we walk by. I, I, I do think because I've learned this from Jesus that every action that we create will have a ripple effect and that no longer because of Jesus is there a distinction between divine or what is, you know, of God and what is eternal and of the banal or or what is, you know, just fleeting. I think that Jesus reconciled both the temporal and the eternal with death on the cross and tearing the veil into two. And so I think that we're called as humans 
to see the divinity in every situation and to believe that, that God is working through every fabric and every molecule of the universe. And for us to kind of, I guess, fall in love with life again. Yeah. The Antidote's been meeting with Garrett Russell of Silent Planet. Man, this has been just awesome. Love the conversation. Thank you so much, Dave. I, I, I love to be a part of this. Thank you for having me on the under the station and it's just it's really uh really meaningful to be able to be a part of this conversation and um i feel i feel honored to i genuinely feel honored to be a part of it so thank you so much dave